J Files on Double J. In the early 90s, a young college student from New Jersey was studying English at NYU. His name was James Murphy, and he wanted to be a writer. When a friend of Murphy's invited him out to Los Angeles for a visit, he had no idea he was about to be offered one of the biggest gigs in television history. My friend was getting married, and he lived in Los Angeles, and he really wanted me to come out. He's like, my fiancé's going away for a couple weeks. Will you come out and hang out with me and make sure I'm doing the right thing? There was a family friend that was a manager. We all went out and had lunch under no, for no business reason. And she's like, oh, I have this, I manage this show, this guy, and he has a new show, and it's all set in New York, and we need a New York writer, and the only writers are the producer and the star, and they're a little like... They need help. They need someone else to write shows, but uh, this would be like the first staff writer. And uh, you'd be getting like $35,000 per script for now, but it would go up if the show gets picked up. But I thought it was the Gary Shandling show, which was on at the same time. And I was like, yeah, I love that song. I was like, I love that. I love the theme song. I was like, I started singing the Gary Shandling theme song, and she just kind of stared at me. I didn't know why she was staring at me until a couple years ago. This was, even though this was like 13 years ago. And um, uh, they sent me scripts and I have this little letter. Oh, hey, how's it going? How's your cat? Where's the script? And I was like, I'm going to totally get on that, dude. I think I smoked a lot of pot and made coffee and then I started a band and just forgot all about it and never did it because I'm a genius. And... Um, and then, I, then the Gary Shandling show got cancelled and I just didn't think any more about it. I was like, oh, that would have been funny. And then my folks passed away and I was cleaning out like the boxes of my stuff. And I was like, hey, there's that letter from the Gary's. Holy crap. Oh, it's Seinfeld. Oh, my God. Like, the most successful television show in history. I would have been the first staff writer. Oh, my God. I mean, the only consolation is I would have been the most insufferable bastard ever. I would have been such a coked up arrogant jerk. And as it is now, I'm not coked up. <laughs> kind of a kind of a dumpy arrogant jerk, I guess. Luckily for James Murphy, his backup career turned out to be all right. I'm Gemma Pike. This is the J Files. In January 2005, LCD Sound System released their long-awaited debut album. Frontman James Murphy had been at the forefront of New York's dance rock scene since co-founding the DFA label in 2001. While Murphy was putting out 7- and 12-inch club singles like Losing My Edge and Yeah, DFA was also producing and remixing artists like The Rapture, Hot Chip and La Tigra. It was a really exciting time. And then LCD's sound system finally put out that coveted first record, taking this blistering New York-centric scene to the world. 
By March that year, LCD Sound System were one of the most anticipated acts at South by Southwest. A lineup that also include other newcomers like Block Party, Wolf Mother, Kaiser Chiefs, MIA, Hot Chip, and the Go Team. The night after LCD Sound System's packed out sweaty gig, James Murphy caught up with Double J Zanro at a Cuban bar to talk about the show. It was, I thought it was really good. I was really, really drunk, but it was fun. I don't know, we've never played here, so... So this is your first time at South by Southwest? I've been here twice before in, in different bands and okay. for different things, but it was the first time we've ever played in Texas at all, so... Yeah. It was fun. It felt like a, an appropriately Texas show. How so? What defines it as an appropriately Texas show? Oh, like... You know, there was not really a sound check, and everything was kind of sloppy, and we were drunk and belligerent, and people were yelling, and it just seemed to be like a, a, a nice couple. <laughs> As opposed to, like, you know, if we were playing a really meticulous show at one in the morning in the Austin, wouldn't make much sense. So. Yeah. While Murphy once considered a career as a writer, music was part of his life from an early age. I first started like playing music a little bit when I was like four or five, and our first band was I was like twelve or thirteen um, when I first was in a band. What kind of band was that? It was a, like a new wave band. It was like 1983, yeah. and it was like a punk rock new wave band. Like played a lot of like. Violent Femme songs and stuff like that, and like I don't know, Flock of Seagulls songs. I think we played Space Age Love Song by Flock of Seagulls. It's a really good song. I mean, some of the stuff I listened to as a kid, I just think is is garbage. Uh, I just was dumb. But some of it, it really grabbed me, and uh, I come back to it. But I usually go through phases. Like, I'm not, I haven't stuck with anything entirely. There'll be times that I have so many records that I'll go through phases where, like, I just haven't listened. I, you know, I went through a phase where I, I didn't listen to a Smith's record for three years or whatever. But when I was a kid, they were, like, like one of the most important bands to me entirely. Um, I, I, you know... Some of that stuff I go back to really strongly, but I also have different periods in my life that were musically really important. And I think like stuff I found in my early twenties is some of it. Some of it's just as powerful to me, and some stuff I found recently is just as powerful to me. But there's something special about the music that kind of say if 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 you're the kind of person for whom music saves your life, um, which was me. Some of that stuff. Uh, me, you know, it's kind of written on your heart in a way, but it's not just the music though. It's just like what, like how it worked and what it meant to me. Because some of the things that I'm not, like I, maybe I don't listen to it anymore, but that relationship to music is something I think a lot about when we make music. You know, like trying to make something that's worth that that's worth what a kid, if a kid really likes your record, they're gonna put a lot into that. And you try to make something that deserves that, or at least it like is worth it and won't humiliate them later. J. 
James Murphy suggests that this is why it took the band three years to release their first album. It was really important to me not to include any of the singles on the record because especially from dance music, what happens a lot is people like happen on some sort of hit, you know, like they suddenly it's like, you know, everywhere you go, it's here comes the hit. Oh, I love this, the song of the summer, beat the super jam. And then there's a car ad. And then there's a guy that's like, we got to put out an album because nobody makes money selling 12s. So then this jackass DJ has to like cobble together a bunch of like outdated trip hop songs from their, you know, off of a dat and like maybe two or three more B-sides and they're like, oh, here's the album. And you just feel so cheated. You just feel like it's clearly, they clearly had an ad, which is the single, and they quickly made a product for that ad to function for. And that was something that I, I kind of abhor and never wanted anything to do with. So it was important to me to kind of like wait it out, let the singles be singles. Plus, um, you know, it takes a while to make an album for me. It only took like three weeks to, to really do it. But we're, we're busy, you know. We have a label and I DJ and I like, we go on tour and I have, I'm married. And it's not like, I'm not like a amped up egotistical 22-year-old that's like, the world wants something for me? Well, fuck yeah, you know, sign me up, dude. Get me on the bus. I better make a record because I rule. I mean, it's just like, what's the point? It, it, I had to make, if I was going to make an album, I felt like I, there needed to be a reason for it. And um, not just because that's the next logical step for my careerist ass. To the outside world, James Murphy and LCD Sound Systems output in the early 2000s was pretty minimal, consisting of a handful of singles and an album with only nine songs. But Murphy's DFA discography was hectic. The label produced Black Dice and The One McLean and remixed artists like NERD, Gorillaz and Soul Wax. DFA opened Murphy's eyes to another side of the music business. Being part of a label is one of the things that kind of gives me a different perspective on what it means to do stuff and like what it costs and what's important, what's not important, but also just being 35, you know, and being like just kind of having seen how things work to a certain degree. I think that that makes it a little bit different. It means I will take two years to make, to release an album if, if I think that's what's important. I didn't want to make an album in the middle of like, uh, uh, I didn't want to make an album in the middle of losing my edge hype. I didn't want to make an album in the middle of our DFA, the new, the punk funk Neptunes hype. I, you know, I just, it, it just didn't seem like a great idea. It didn't seem that relevant to me. I, all the bands I liked, um, you know, it took them a, cu- a couple of records until they got anywhere. Um, and then when people started gravitating towards them, you had two or three records of which to get a, diff- a more of a scope of who they were, yeah. not just one single. That's how it LCD Sound System have made a career out of heartfelt party jams. Songs like Someone Great and All My Friends have become indie kid anthems for their epic slow builds and relatability. James Murphy explained to Zanro that he'd tried to find what felt right rather than being clever or trendy. I like lyrics, and I like lyrics that are complicated, I like lyrics that are simple, I like good lyrics. Um, um, and I think that sometimes like complicated story lyrics are horrible, and I think 
sometimes just like really dumb lyrics are great. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think I try to make stuff that makes me happy, and I can't put my finger on why it makes me happy. And sometimes it's just it's so dumb, or it's not. I like trying to make lyrics that are aren't aren't really good for songs. Like, there's a way that you're supposed to say things in songs that drives me nuts. There's like sort of this emotional shorthand that people make lyrics out of, like, I'm writing lyrics, and it's nothing like you'd ever write or say, and I always feel like it sounds so stupid. I, I don't like wearing somebody else's hat, and I'll, all I want to do is just do my own, have lyrics be very much mine, and it, it's not like there's no other real formal requirement. It doesn't have to be a good story, or it doesn't have to be complicated or simple. I mean, yeah, it's just literally... Yeah, 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 all over, over and over and over, and like, that just seemed to be right, and that seemed like almost such a bad idea that I would give it a whirl. I think sometimes I fail at it, um, but it's just what I'm interested in. I'm Gemma Pike. Thanks for listening to The J-Files. The J-Files.